It's good to be together. It's good to be able to be together as well between our locations. I didn't seen that film before and I was just like, oh no, I'm welling up. Uh, a little tear in my eyes. I wish I'd watched it beforehand, just, you know, got emotionally prepared. Because um, just freshly reminded about why we do what we do as God's church, why we, for me, why I'm a pastor, for us, hopefully, why we attend, why we give, why we serve, why we pray, why we keep on, is because God isn't finished yet. And as much as we could all easily look in our own lives and go, I've got a pile of problems, you know, that I still need God to move in, 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 and I've got things going on in my life, it would be easy, right, to just look inside and be insular. There's a big enough list for God to deal with there. It'd be so easy to forget it's not supposed to stop with us. That God cares so deeply, right, about those that do not know him yet. And it's easy to forget about them. It's easy to get on with our lives. It's easy to get on with our problems and forget. There are many people that do not know Christ have not heard the name of Jesus, have not heard the story of the good news of God in such a way that they could understand it from someone they could trust in a, with a power that just makes it come alive with them. And, and, and that's why we're here. And I, I, remember, I remember back, like we're coming up pastoring for 12 years, I think next week we, we would have been the pastors for 12 years and I remember uh, you know, we sort of, we took on the church and the church became about 50 people or 60 people, somewhere in there. And uh, in 2012, we took like a faith step to move into what was, used to be called the Flyover Tavern. Okay, it's like down the road here in Mount Monganui for you Auckland people, and it had been closed down because somebody got murdered in the toilets with a screwdriver. Um, this was the, the flyover tavern, and, and um, we moved in. It had a beautiful fireplace. It had the places where the kegs went. Uh, it had the pole where the stripper thing was. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a great venue for church. And I remember we, we took through like a, a, a group of um, of wise people at the time, and we're sort of like, hey, should we take the faith step to, to lease this property, to, to get a home for this church and believe that God has better things ahead of us um, than what we've experienced so far? And we, we were unanimous. We decided we couldn't afford it, but we, we took the step and we moved in. And from the day we moved in, like God breathed on it. And he took this, and yeah, there's some people nodding because they were there, like God breathed on it. And it was like something changed in the church and people started meeting Jesus and like the, the atmosphere and worship was rich with the presence of God. And it was just, it was good times and like 10 more people turned up that week. And like we couldn't afford to paint the walls or to put a sign out front. I think the entire time we we're in that building, we never put signage up for the three years or four years we were in there because we couldn't afford signage. It just wasn't that important. People were turning up anyway. It didn't matter. And so people were meeting Jesus. People were finding church home. People were given church a go again that had maybe sort of felt like they'd been burnt or sort of like that was a bit hard for them. And, and it was awesome. And like that, that next six months, it was like, you know, it was like, oh, this is, this is like a move of God. 
And the 60 people turned into almost 200 people in about six months. It was like, it's incredible. I'm like, I don't know what you're doing, God, but you can keep doing it. And it definitely felt like one of those times where God is doing something in spite and despite of you. I don't know if you've ever had those moments. And, and in, 2000, in 2012, after about six months of, you know, a move of God, I decided to do a teaching series. I didn't tell anybody I was going to do it. I decided to do a teaching series. It was called Managing God's Money. I kid you not, first week of the series, there was 80 people. It literally more than halved the church. The next week, there was 90 people because there were 10 visitors from out of town. <laughs> the following week, it was back down to 80, and our move of God came to a grinding halt the moment we started to talk about money. The moment we started to talk about money. And over nine years, I think the following year, we, we had a, a, our first ever annual offering, and that actually paid for us to be able to move into this facility uh, here in Newton Street. And uh, uh, we've had nine annual offerings, and, and they've been pretty cool, like uh, amazing things. I think the first one was like $240,000. I think the biggest one we've had is about $2.2 million over the years. It's, like, it's incredible. We, we, over the years, we've received one $1 million check. Like, that's pretty cool. Like, it wasn't actually a check. Uh, I don't think people have checks anymore. It's just a bank transfer. But um, it, it's just pretty cool things. We've been able to expand. We've been able to plant churches. We've been able to, you know, work towards giving away this land in Tauranga. We've been able to buy this building, renovate this building. We've been able to plant Kire Auckland and do all of those things, all because of these annual offerings. We've been able to buy seven hectares of land in Papamoa. We've been able to, I think, give away almost $1.9 million through Curate Cares. Uh, like, pretty, pretty cool things, pretty cool things. And as we approach this 10th offering, I think there's something significant about it. But I'll be honest, I'm probably like more timid than I've been in the last few. Just after the, the last few years, after some of what I've shared over the weeks gone by, it's, um, I'd be lying if I, if I didn't say I'm a little bit more timid as I come to this one. Because it's a time where where many are struggling with the economy. I, I think that wouldn't be a surprise to anyone in the way that affects most people. There wouldn't be many people who don't feel the effects of that in some way, shape, or form. Uh, I, I think a little bit cautious coming into this one because it's like a time in sort of our post-COVID world, if you could call it that, where just people have drawn back a little bit by and large and there's a little bit of that sort of just... just holding back and watching a little bit more. Uh, I think a, a little bit cautious because of all of what was in the media last year around Hillsong and Arise and other churches have been connected with and the way that sort of like maybe can cause people to wonder, is that what curators like? Is there mismanagement there? Are there these sorts of things? And I think just like by and large, our age is an age that doesn't trust institutions 
doesn't trust people in like authority positions like pastors. There's a, a huge like cautiousness and a dismantling of those things. And maybe in, in some spaces that's warranted, but in other spaces, it, it's more of like the spirit of the age than something of wisdom and of God. Um, and, and so there can be a lack of trust. Maybe we could admit that. Not from all, but surely there'd be plenty of it in the room, no doubt. And in Auckland and in here, there can be a lack of trust because we are an institution. There's a lack of trust because, you know, I'm a pastor and I'm going to ask you to give money and there's all these sort of like, you know, convoluted perceived motives perhaps around that. There can be a lack of trust because of church stories and there can be a lack of trust around giving. Let's just be honest about this because being a generous person requires maturity. And not all of us have it. And we could just be honest about that. It, it, it's tough. But I want this season over these next few weeks as we prepare to give, if you're going to be someone who gives, and as we give together, I want it to be a season where it doesn't matter how you engage in it, that you keep walking towards Jesus in it. That the idea of money doesn't cause half the church to disappear like it did in 2012 and never come back again. Because above all of those things, we're here to help everyone walk towards Jesus. And that's what matters most. To keep worshipping together, to keep coming to the communion table together. And so if you're here and it's like giving season and every part of you is clenching up and there's like alarm bells and you're like, you're in full like, you know, <laughs> anxious mode, just take a breath, relax. If it's not your next step, it's not your next step. Maybe God wants something else from you in this season as you walk towards him. Just, just relax, it's okay. There's no pressure here. But in all my life, I don't want to be somebody who tears down. That's easy. I want to be someone who builds. I don't want to be someone who uproots. I want to be someone who plants. I want to be someone that leaves something so much better for the people who would come after me that they feel like they're standing on a legacy. And I always wanted that for this church, and I think... I think that's the sentiment of, of what this church is about. And so I want to keep calling the people in the flock entrusted to me to a mature Christian living, to a, a giving, to a generosity. I don't want to rob you of the opportunity to engage in sacrificial, faith-filled, beautiful giving because if you're there in your journey and you've, you've engaged, you know that there's something of God in it. And so I don't want to lower to the lowest common denominator it's like, if that's not where you're at, that's all cool. That's fine. We love you. Keep walking towards Jesus. But I don't want to rob everybody that is where they're at. We need to still go there together. So one of the most beautiful things we've done over the years, and on your seats, hopefully in Auckland and in here, there should be some information, but there's this card, and this is one of the most important parts of the offering. It says, who's your one more? Because while we've given to buildings and we've given to projects and we've given to buying things and we've given to planning churches, at the core of our giving, we know that we want to be motivated by the mission of God, which is the reaching of the lost. And, and whether or not you engage in the giving, I would love you to engage in the faith 
of the mission of God in this season. And uh, in Auckland and in here, we've got opportunities for you to write name, names. There'll be heaps more cards around somewhere, no doubt, where you can write down the people who matter to you and matter to God that you're believing will come to know Christ in the future, no matter where they sit in the world, because we always want to connect what we do with generosity, with God's purposes, and with real people, and so we can be praying. And over the years, the cool thing is, like some of these stories that we're hearing about in the film, like some of these, many of these names have actually come to know Christ over the 10 years we've been doing this. And so you can take these. I think the reason that there's two is the idea you could pick a name, you could write the name twice. You could leave one here or in Auckland on, on the little thing and you can take one home and you could put it on the fridge or in your Bible as the bookmark or something to remember you to pray, to remind you to pray. Um, so that's what that's about. Um, this one has all of the information about what we're giving to. Um, we're, we're believing for two things, to pay off the land that we've purchased in Papamaa. Um, one day, hopefully, we'll be able to build there, but that day is a long way away at the moment. But right now, we're just believing to get back out of debt as a church, uh, and so because that's freeing. Um, and we went back into debt to buy that land, and so we're believing to pay that off. Um, it would be no surprise to anybody that's been a part of Curate Mount for a little while anyway that our facility does not facilitate the fullness of our life. We have our Tauranga building, we've got offices somewhere else, we don't even have a foyer for hanging out in, there's no car parking, there's no ability to use this room, this building for anything significant midweek because of our resource consent and parking, we can't host funerals, we can't do weddings, we can't do many important things um, and we believe in to have a building one day that we can do the fullness of our life together, and I imagine most people are like, yeah, that, that sounds good. So um, whether or not that ends up being in Papamara or somewhere else is yet to be seen, but we felt led to buy that land, and I think it's a good investment, so um, we got that. And we're, we're, we're trying to start the Curate Cares Foundation as well, which is like a, a for-profit exercise, like an investment entity that makes money so that profits can be distributed to curate cares needs. And, and what that is about is we don't want our ability to support God's mission in the future to be limited by how much people can give on a, any week or year or month. We want to be able to create finance, create resource, so that we can release even more things uh, through Curate Cares and support missions and those sorts of things. So we believe in a, we, we started, we contributed some to this last year and uh, we're, we're continuing with that this year. So that's all there. Does that sound good? Great. Um, you, we're going to give in two weeks' time. So we have another week of preparation because we believe in not giving in response to like pressure and manipulation or anything like that. So I just want to encourage you, take some time to pray and ask God what the season means for you, what this looks like for you, uh, and then just follow the voice of the Lord in your life. Come prepared to give. You can give one of two ways. You can give a one-off gift, and or you can give like a pledge, because you might be like, I'm a bit cash poor right now, but I could, you know, over the next 12 months, I could up my regular giving, or I could do something like that. So you've got sort of both options. You can do either or, or both, um, whatever you feel led to do. Does that sound good? Great, great. I, um, I guess I just want to finish with a story on this little section before we open the book of Philippians with our remaining time um, 
the parable of the four daughters, I called it. The parable of the four daughters. A family had four daughters, and every year they would travel together to the holy city to worship the Lord. The oldest daughter, she was married. Her and her husband, they had a successful business, and they looked forward to this annual pilgrimage every year where they were able to bring their gifts in worship to the Lord. It had been a good year, and so they were excited to do what they had done every year and, and sacrifice and give and worship to the Lord. The second daughter was widowed. She was excited, but she was a little bit embarrassed because business had not gone well in recent times since her husband passed, had struggled to make ends meet, struggled to figure things out. Things they had hoped for had not come to pass. And so she was excited to go and worship the Lord, but she had never had less to give him. But she was motivated by the story of the widow and the oil in the Old Testament and thought, well, I don't have much, but what I do have, God, I give gladly to you, trusting that you are the provider of everything. Then there was the third daughter. She was single, and she thought the whole thing was a crock. She didn't she saw through it in her own eyes that we're not giving to God, but we're just giving to the religious institution. This is just some other agenda. And she was not excited this year to make the travel because she felt like the scales had finally came off and she was seeing clearly. And then the fourth daughter had been so disappointed by God and the temple system she used to be highly involved, but she feels like she'd seen through the curtain and it wasn't what she hoped or expected. She felt span out of the other side and going was just a little bit much this year. As the four daughters gathered for a dinner with mum before the journey was to take place, they all asked for advice from the mother on how to proceed and the mum said to all of the daughters, it just matters that you make the journey. Often in our perspective, we could ask the question and go, well, who would God be most pleased about or most pleased with with these four daughters? And we'd come to our own conclusions about where people are in their journey and, and, and what's going on and, and so forth. But... I think if we would look through it truly through God's eyes, God cares that we keep making the journey towards him. No matter what our baggage is or our hurts or our circumstances, no matter what the season has been, make the pilgrimage to keep worshiping. And so my encouragement to you as your pastor over these coming weeks, no matter where you're at with these things, just keep making the journey towards Jesus. God has a way of making everything else figure itself out from there. Does that sound good? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time where we get to give to you, sacrifice, believe, for people to come to know you, Lord. And we just ask that you'd have your way in this season. In Auckland, here in Mount Monganui, Lord, we pray that you would stir our hearts, that you would stir faith in us, that you would speak to us, that you would speak in our marriages, that you would speak to our kids if we've got kids, Lord, and that you would stir us all 
to play our part in this journey in some way, Lord. For those that this is just like, whoa, 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 this is too much. Lord, I just pray that you'd bring peace to their hearts, Lord, and you'd show them how you're leading them in this time. Lord, we just pray that you stay the main thing for every single one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we'll use our, our remaining time in Philippians. Does that sound good? Philippians chapter two, it's like an epic passage. I know they're all epic, I've been saying that, but it's like, because we had like my favorite tattoo passage, to live as Christ, to die as gain. I'm, I'm waiting for somebody to come up to me on a Sunday and be like, I got the tattoo. Uh, I, I'm, I, I've never preached a message where somebody said I got a tattoo. That's how good the message was. But, um, but you know, so there, hint, hint. Uh, I'm, trying, I'm also waiting for somebody's waters to break mid-service, okay? That's something else I've been praying for to happen in church. So expectant mothers, um, one of you is going to be the answer of my prayers. We're going to be in Philippians 2, but before we skip there, um, there's a verse back in chapter 1, verse 27, which actually sort of sets up this, this, this part of the, the book of Philippians, okay? And it's in Philippians 1, verse 27. It says, above all, when you hear above all, you should be like, oh, this, this is important. This is not just words. This, is, this matters a bit. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Jesus. Then, whether I come to see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing side by side, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Philippians 1.27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ, and then goes on to talk about oneness, talking about staying together, staying united, if you would. So then we get to chapter 2, verse 1, and it says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? These are rhetorical questions. Uh, any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? I guess we should be going, yes. Yes, yes. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. What an unreasonable request. <laughs> Loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. I'm an individual. How dare you, Paul? Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. What is that attitude? Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven on an earth and under the earth and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's like OG him. 
in, 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 the, in the Greek, it actually sort of like rhymes and has symmetry, like it's poetic. You could sing it. Uh, it doesn't quite happen that way in the English. To live a life worthy of the good news is to live a life of unity and of oneness as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, one theologian said this about these verses. These verses bring us the strongest possible appeal for Christian unity. The kind of appeal that many Christians seem prone not to take very seriously. There, I've got four kids. Kids always go through the why phase. Anybody that's had kids, you would know that they go through the why phase. Anytime you want them to do something, anytime you're saying we're doing something, anytime anything is happening of any sort at all, anytime they observe anything, they say, why? Why do we do that? Why do we have to do that? Why? 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 Why do we have to be united as brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Verse 1 says, I don't know about you. I'm encouraged by belonging to Christ. I wake up in the morning and I go, thank you, God, that I know you. Thank you, God, that you saved me. Thank you that I'm aware of your mercies and grace today. Thank you that your spirit lives in me. I wake up encouraged that I belong to Christ. Sometimes I wake up sort of like, you know, it's not on the tip of my tongue, but I get there, right? You know, it's like, it's not my first thought. Sometimes I think, why, you know, <laughs> why? But most of the time, I'm, I'm there by the time I've had my first cup of coffee, you know? Uh, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Yes, there is a lot. Is there any comfort from his love? Oh my goodness. Is there what? Good times, particularly in bad times, just the love of God. Just having a relationship with your heavenly father that you can just, you can just lean into, right? You can nestle into. You can crawl to if you need to. You can cry out to. You can, you can lean on and depend on. Is there any comfort from his love? There are... Oh, there is endless comfort from his love. Is there any fellowship together in his spirit? This fellowship is, is twofold. There's, there's the spirit of God in us causes us to have fellowship with God. It's our seal of son or daughtership with him. It's the seal of our adoption. It's like our adoption papers. Yes, I got the Holy Spirit. Is there fellowship of the spirit? Yes, he, by his spirit, he keeps drawing me close. To him, but also by that same spirit, he draws me close to the brothers and sisters in Christ around me. Why do we have to be united? Because <laughs> there's encouragement from belonging to Christ, and there's comfort from his love, and there's fellowship by his spirit, and there's a tenderness and compassion that's growing in our hearts as God takes up residence and reign. It's a growing thing. So then God goes, well, if this is the why, the why is God has come and moved powerfully in our lives and in our midst 
So therefore, start figuring out how to get along. Start creating a oneness. Start living out what is true to God, what is true in the Spirit. Make it true on earth. Live a life worthy of your calling. Live a life worthy of the message of God. There are four reasons why. So if your kids go, why do we have to be united? Just take them to this passage. Why? Four reasons why right there, okay? And then there are four ways to describe what being united means. Because some people have weird ideas of what being united means, right? Like maybe uniformity, conformity, everybody doing what one person says. That's not what it says here. There's four ways to describe unity. It says agreeing. That's probably the hardest one. It starts there because we love our opinions. Um, Agreeing. Then it goes loving. That should be the hardest one. Working together and being in one mind and purpose. For these reasons, because God has moved in your life, four different ways he's moved in your life, you should live out a unity. We should live out a unity. And unity looks like agreeing, not about everything, let's just put the caveat there, Um, Because it's political time, right? Elections are up and election signs are getting destroyed everywhere. It's my greatest joy in the morning to wake up and see another election, you know, visual pollution sign destroyed or somebody's face tagged. I just think that's the whole mockery of the thing. Anyway, uh, you know, in the church, we have vote. I might burst some people's bubbles here. Not everyone votes like you. Okay. Like, people probably vote for all the parties in this church. So, and that's okay. That's totally okay. So, but it's not talking about agreeing about that stuff. It's talking about agreeing about God, about Christ, about the good news, about this. It's talking about agreeing about the creed, about who God is and the saving nature of his work. We are, even in the, we have all different perspectives about what end times is. Right, all different, I know, it's like, uh, uh, all different perspectives. We don't have to agree on that. That's not an essential. As Augustine said, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, love. And this is the essence of unity. We need to agree about the core things, and that's what it's talking about here, agreeing, loving, working together. These things are more self-explanatory and being of one mind and purpose. What is that? Just being Jesus-centered. Being all about God, okay? So there's four ways to describe unity. There are three negatives to avoid if we want to live out or experience unity, okay? As the verse goes on, it says, do not be selfish. Do not try to impress others. You know, try to grab for empty glory. Um, And do not just look out for your own interests. Have you ever seen... Kids in a lolly scramble. That's a picture of disunity. And sadly, it can sometimes be a picture of the church. God's throwing out lollies, and everybody's just trying to grab their lot. Right, and in a lolly scramble, you got the big kids, you got the little kids, you got the people that happen to be in the fortunate position where they just landed in their lap. 
If you've ever been a parent and you've had one of the little kids in the lolly scramble and the big kids are just so much faster and they get all of the lollies, you can see all of these things to avoid at play. You can see selfishness, right? No, no kids in the lolly scramble will be like, no, you have it. <laughs> right, it is just, it's grabbing and snatching. It's shoulders and barging. It's, it's pure selfishness. There's even a bit of trying to impress others. Look how many I got. You know, look. They come running to mum or dad. Whoa, that's a stash. And we're like, good on you. You're so selfish. That's awesome. Look at all those other useless kids who got nothing. Out of their parents aren't training them properly. I got a kid with heaps. Well done, son. I hope you got more than anyone else. We are the champions. And there's only a looking out for our own interests, right? But if you've ever had one of those kids who comes back with a tear in their eye, so sad. Because other parents raise their kids like this. And come, you know how amazing it is when somebody notices and they walk on over and they go, hey, have some of mine. And then the little kid is like, you are my hero. You know, like just like looking up to the bigger kid. Though. And this is, this is the essence of like when we live out of selfishness, when we live out of trying to impress, needing to be seen, needing to be noticed, needing to be praised, like striving for empty glory, when we're only looking out for our own interests, we cannot live out a life worthy of our calling. We are not living a life that reflects the message of Jesus. We are, they're, they're become, this is why people are like, the church is full of hypocrites. And we're like, yeah, we know it because we're all sinners in need of a savior and we're all a work in progress. Yes, the church is full of hypocrites, but it's very different when we justify our lolly scramble attitudes and say that's Christianity. And so he gives us these three negatives to avoid and he gives us three positives to embrace. Instead of that lolly scramble attitude, he says, be humble, think of others better than yourselves, and take an interest in others. All of us have a person inside of us that wants to be selfish, that wants to impress others, that wants to only look out for our own interests. It's the Adam self, right? It's the human self. It's the fleshly self. It's the self we're all born with. It's in there. It's called all different names in the scripture, but it, it, it's the sinful self. All of us have that in us. And Paul goes, don't live out of that person. Don't be like that. Don't practice that. Instead, live out of the Christ person. Instead, live out of the other self, live out of the redeemed self, live out of the good news. And here's some ways to practice. In the same way, if you keep practicing selfishness, you give the Adam self, the fleshly self, the sinful self, you give it reign. You give it dominion. You give it more control. It grows. It's like the old, like two dogs fighting inside of my soul. And which one is going to win the war? Well, the one you feed most. And this is, so don't practice out of that self. Instead, be humble. 
Instead, think of others better than yourselves. Instead, take an interest in others. These are counter practices. These are ways to live that create unity. What are these? These are when I forget to buy magnets from Bunnings and I have to use whatever is in kids' church. <laughs> these are magnets. When we live out of a certain self, it doesn't matter how much we are around people, we repel them. Is, is this even going to work? Come on. You know? You understand the idea, right? Magnets have polar polarity, whatever. No, they have stuff, you know. <laughs> they either attract or detract. And what Paul's saying is to live a life worthy of the story and the person of Jesus is to embrace a type of way of living that if you just do it, it'll just constantly pull you together with people. It'll just, humility will just, it'll draw you close. Thinking of others, it'll just draw you close. You won't even have to try. Taking an interest in others, oh, it'll just draw you close. Humility, it'll draw you close. Taking an interest in others, it'll draw you close. Humility, it'll draw you close. I, I just keep repeating it. Thinking of others more than yourself, it'll draw you close. But selfishness, it doesn't matter how much you try to draw close, it'll always push people away. Thinking of only your own interests, doesn't matter how much people try to get close to you, it'll, they're fighting in my hands, okay? They're trying. Do you understand what I'm saying? That, that this is the essence of living a life worthy of your calling is if you practice out of the Christ person, which you can practice in humility in just the simple things of thinking of others and just taking an interest in others, Christ will have his way. Just as we practice these things. And this is the essence of this. This is a deep passage. I, I was saying to somebody last night, I was over at our house, I was like, oh man, I could preach for like three hours with no notes on this passage. It's so good. It's so rich. I don't have all of that time today. But this is the essence of the calling of this passage is live in such a way where God has his way. Live in such a way that just keeps drawing us. That makes, and Paul says, make me happy. It's like, make God happy by just coming together with other people. It's Psalm 133. How blessed it is when brethren dwell in unity, there the Lord commands his blessing. Just dwelling in harmony. It's, it's, it's John 17 where Jesus goes, I pray not only for these disciples, but for the disciples to come that they might be one as you and I, Father, in one. May they be in me and I be, you know, it goes on, so that the whole world will believe that you sent me. There's, there's, there's not just a blessing to unity, there is a missional release in unity that tells the world, there's something legit about the person of Jesus. There's actually, in, in, in Proverbs 6, I think it is, maybe verse 19, it says, six things the Lord hates, maybe even seven, and one of the things is somebody who pulls people apart, who causes disunity. And so we want to live out of 
the Christ self in a way. And, and then he grounds this whole thing. He goes, you must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him. And he goes on to talk about his elevation. Have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. It's the opposite attitude to the Adam. Don't think of Adam as just a historical figure. Think of him as a type of power wanting to control your life. Adam had everything with God, but he wanted more, so he grabbed at the fruit to get what he didn't have. And instead of getting it, he tried to elevate himself. Instead of getting elevated, he found himself humbled and humiliated, and he became a slave to sin and to the earth. Instead of having dominion like God you know, decided that he should and, and commissioned him to have dominion, he became a servant where thorns caused the curse for the rest of his life. And this is some of what Paul has in mind in this passage. Is like, Don't live out of that Adam selfish self who tried to elevate himself and instead ends up humiliated. Take the pathway of Christ who did have everything but didn't consider it something to grab onto. To gra- it wasn't a lolly scramble snatch, even though he was entitled to it all. Adam wasn't entitled, but tried to grab it. Jesus was entitled and was happy to let it go. Have that attitude and have that attitude. You let it go. And not only did he let it go, he came in human form. And not only did he come in human form, he took the form of a slave. He's going low, low, low without it sounding like a rap song, you know. Uh, anyway. Shorty got low, 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 low. Okay? Not that. Um, low, and then obedient even to death on a cross. So at the name of Jesus, then, then God raised him from the dead. So at the name of Jesus, every tongue shall confess and every knee shall bow above the earth, under the earth, on the earth, Jesus Christ is Lord. Often in our lives, if that's a shape, right? Humility to exaltation. This is a shape, it's like a V. Most of us are trying to live an N. <laughs> right? We're trying to climb the mountain. And God's got no choice but to humble us. That's the Adam shape. We try to grab the fruit. We try to grab things. We live out of selfishness, you know, our own glory, these sorts of things. He goes, now have the same attitude of Jesus that trusted the way of God that if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. What shape is your life taking? What shape is your marriage taking? What shape is your friendships taking? What shape is your life in the church taking? Is it taking sort of the, the mountain climbing shape? Or is it taking, he didn't think of it as something, yeah, I've got the rights to it, but I didn't think of something to be grasped or clinged on to. I gave it up. I humbled myself and take the form of a slave. I'll be obedient even unto death because I know that the pathway is always that God exalts the humble. And so we want to be one. We want to practice oneness. We want to draw together. 
and we find not just the example, but also the grace and courage in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, to do so. What shape is your life currently taking? Are you trying to climb or are you racing to the bottom? Are you trying to grab or are you racing to the... When you came here today, did you think, who's going to notice me and say hello to me? That's the climbing up, right? Or did you think, who could I look out for and notice them? When you go home into your marriage and you go, why won't they do this for me? Or you're thinking, what do they need me to do for them? These are the, the everyday, the ways of choosing which shape your life is going to take that will cause things to happen just naturally if you take the shape. Here's the thing, so often, and I'll finish on this, so often we can think of this process as like, yeah, so we give it all up so that we can get it all. That's just another version of selfishness. That's just thinking that you've got the new hack to it. That's still selfishness. Jesus didn't die on a cross to get something. He died on a cross to reveal something about his glory. That it's not the type of glory that you think it is. One theologian said it like this. We should not think of this process, what, this descending process, as some kind of exchange. Christ did not cease to be in the form of God when he took the form of a slave any more than he ceased to be the son of God when he was sent into the world. On the contrary, it's in his self-emptying and in his humiliation that he reveals what God is like. And it is through his taking the form of a slave that we see the form of God. It's not just a means to an end's it is the revealing of the nature of God. So we do not serve and slave and give and practice humility and take an interest in others so that we can get something. We do it because as we do it, we reveal the true glory of being the people of God. It's actually, this is the whole point. And on that we shall pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus. May you lead us all to live a life worthy of our calling in him. May you speak to us in our week that we might live the shape of your life in our lives for your glory. May we reflect you. May we reveal you. May we be unified like we've never been unified as the people of God, as we practice the way of being with each other. May we be unified in marriages and families. May we be unified in all of our relationships. For your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.